Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Steph McKenna. And I'm James Gill. From the National Centre for Writing here at Dragon Hall in Norwich, England. For this episode, I spoke to novelist, teacher and doctor of letters, Ashley Hickson-Lovance, to explore story and plot. Ashley is the author of The 392 and the prize-nominated novel, Your Show, which she talks about a little bit in our chat. We also discuss the difference between story and plot, key plot devices, and how you can ensure that your story has a plot that keeps people turning pages. The course is one of a number of beginners courses which are on sale now and they run for 12 weeks and start in September. We also have next steps courses for anyone who may have done a beginners course and wants to push their writing to the next level. We also have courses in crime, memoir, historical fiction, creative non-fiction and poetry. You can read more about the modules and see which course would help you in your writing over on the website. And don't forget, Ashley's the tutor of the Start Writing Fiction course, so if you want more of his wisdom and some one-to-one feedback on your own writing, you can book now. This was a really insightful conversation, and we hope you find it useful in your writing. And so, without further delay, we bring you Dr. Ashley Hickson-Lovance. So welcome, Ashley. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the podcast uh, today. Um, I know that the, the National Centre for Writing, we have a bit of relationship with you um, in a number of different ways. Do you want to sort of walk us through the various strands uh, within which we, we work with you and, and have worked with you? Where to begin? Um, Aside from the fact that you got married here at the weekend. That's right, yes. <laughs> I was here not so long ago. Um, I was saying that I was, uh, yeah, you know, I was a little bit drunker than I am now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I moved to Norwich in 2018 from London and um, everyone was telling me about the National Centre for Writing. You need to go visit, you need to go see it, you need to go and experience it. Um, and um, I think the first time I came here was for a, a sort of writer's social, um, which was such a, a really great feature before the pandemic. And I know sessions like that have, have resumed since, thankfully. But, you know, it allowed me to have interactions and engagements with with some of the, the members of staff here at the National Centre for Writing, but also people who were just writing in the city. And, you know, I learned very quickly that everybody essentially is a writer here in Norwich. And, um, you know, everyone's uh, scribbling a, a poem on a napkin. Everyone's working on a, on a screenplay about the 2012 Olympics. Everybody is doing something. And I love that. Um, so I got chatting. Um, I told them that I was just beginning my PhD here at UEA. Um, and it sort of started from there. And now, yes, I do some uh, online tutoring um, oh, what else do I do? I've done some judging for the Laura Kinsella Prize recently. Um, I, I say yes to every single event that is here, basically. You can't get rid of me. So I really do love the National Centre for Writing, what it's all about, the individuals who work here. And, um, you know, the podcast is part of it. Awesome. Because I know because you, you're, you're a tutor, obviously, as you just mentioned, um, on our uh, online courses. Um, what's, uh, tell us a little bit about how that's sort of the shape of those courses. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a no-brainer for me to accept the role uh, to become an online tutor here. Um, I have an MA in creative writing and publishing from City University, which I studied for part-time while I was an English teacher. Uh, So I was always working with words. I'm always working with words and and have done since my initial degree, uh, which was also in English. Um, So I've got teaching experience. And then when I started my PhD, I did some associate tutoring at UEA. and at the moment, I'm also teaching on the MA in creative writing, prose at UEA. So I love teaching. Um, I love talking about craft. I love talking about style. I love talking about structure. I love, um, I spent way too long looking at sentences over and over again and thinking, oh, what can we tweak here just to make it 
pop off the page a little bit more. And sometimes after about half an hour, it's probably just a comma. Yeah. Uh, it's always a it's always a blooming comma. Um, but yeah, I love the sort of close unpacking and, and analysis of, of of syntax and sentences. Um, and yeah, so accepting you know accepting the role as um, you know an online tutor here was like I said it was a no brainer and it was a real honour really. So um, gone through one year and I'm soon to start my second year in September. Um, really fantastic individuals usually people who are um, willing to learn, willing to improve. They're driven and just want to become better writers because they you know they love the craft and um, that's what I'm all about too. Awesome. Well, that's what we're going to chat about today. The uh, you know the subject of this of this podcast is is story and plotting and um, so I'm you know on the, on the I've been a journalist for a long time but I'm not a writer of of, um, of fiction or novels other than in a sort of a, I've started in the last few years so I'm at a hobby stage so I'm probably like lots of our listeners who are you know non-professional uh, people doing it for for the love we're we're googling around things we're finding blogs and listening to podcasts like this and one of the um, the topics I've kind of come across at the beginning is the difference between plot and story, because colloquially you might use those words interchangeably, um, but my understanding is that they are they're different. So when when we're writing our stories, or and um, you need to know the difference between the two. So tell us uh, in in your mind what's the what is a, what is plot and what is story, and obviously the, the sort of the key differences. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there when you say that um, it's so easy to get lost, confused, alienated, frustrated by listening to podcasts or looking at websites or buying the many, many books there are about craft um, and thinking, oh, they're saying the same thing, but in different ways or they're sort of contradicting each other. And I don't know where, you know, I don't know what's what and I don't know which way is up. Um, that's all very normal. Um, you know, I, I did a bit of prep on the way here. And yeah, there was lots of, you know, brilliant things people have said. And, you know, I've been reading about Nikesh Shukler and Andrew Cohen, who is, um, you know, my supervisor here at UEA. Um, And, you know, they say some wonderful things, some really great things. But I'm really keen to stress that, you know, we can take each term with a pinch of salt and we can uh, interpret them in our own way. Uh, So don't get don't be sort of scared by them or frightened by by terms like, oh, stop. Uh, sorry, story, plot, narrative. And yeah, there there is some interchangeability there. Um, so, you know, don't be too put off by that. You know, I come from a working class background. I grew up in Hackney and first in the family to go to university. And, the, you know, one thing I, I'm really keen to do is to not put people off the idea of, of writing a novel or writing a book because they're like, oh, I don't know what this term means. So I'm just going to avoid it. I'm not going to do it. Um, that being said, though, <laughs> that being said, um, I think... You know, when I'm reading students' work and, you know, I told you I work at UEA, but I also, you know, do creative writing sessions across London and, and various uh, institutes, schools, colleges, universities, etc. Um, I'm looking to not be bored. I'm looking for dynamism, energy in writing. And that comes through plotting. Story for me in the most basic sense is um, it... it you know, this happens and this happens and this happens. And it's a sort of the, the overarching, uh, you know, broad brushstroke framework of a, of a story. Um, but plot is all about causality and what links those elements of a story together and what are the consequences of those individual um, plot points. So story for me, 
you know, if it's just story and there hasn't been any conscious effort to think about plotting, it's going to be boring. There's not going to be that dynamism and that energy and that sense of forward movement propulsion that a good novel reads. Well, every story, every novel needs, sorry. Every novel, every every short story needs. It needs to be a sense of movement. Um, and with that comes plotting. So we need to think about causality, consequences, beats. We need to think about all of the little things that you're dictating the pace for the reader. You are in control of where you take the reader on this journey and how you do that. So I do think, yeah, you know, the story in, in, in the broadest sense is, is, is often quite like maybe one or two lines, the beginning, the middle, the end. But plotting is really essential in how we link those, those key um, those key points of the journey, I suppose, um, and thinking about consequences and causality. Is it also, I've, again, there are so many definitions, as you say, out there, and all of them are valuable, even if the point that they prove is you can't, there is no one singular answer to this. Um, and I've heard people say that, you know, story is um, sort of the individual's story. So if it's a character, that the story is sort of relates to the character, Whereas the plot, as you said, is is the, um, the the structure of what's underneath that story. So if you said to someone, what, you know, what's your story? They'd say, well, I'm, you know, I'm from Hackney. I'm this is this is me. Whereas what's your plot might have been, I had this school, and then I, you know, this I got this job that made me hate this, and so I did that. Is it more the sort of, and then you blend those two things together so that it's not just a character's boring story, but it's not a plot without heart. Absolutely. I do think there is an amalgamation of story and plot. And that's why it's so hard to, to define and differentiate in so many ways, because there is an amalgamation there. Um, I'm going to use my, my, my latest novel, Your Show, as an example of um, you know, a, a relatively simple way of, of separating the two terms. Um, the story of Your Show is about a man um, from a disadvantaged background um, who breaks through glass ceilings to make it to the top. A typical rags to riches story. Stories often have been told and retold and rehashed over and over and over again. The plot, however, is about a black man from Jamaica in the 1950s who, move, who moves to a tough, tough estate to, in the 1970s to um, you know, meet up with his parents. Um, he falls in love with football. He... Um, overcomes many barriers, including uh, ongoing racism, to make it to the top as the only uh, black referee in the Premier League. There is more. Uh, there's more happening there. Absolutely, like you said, you know, we've talked about sort of architecture of a story. There's there's, there's a bit more nuance there. There's a bit more depth, um, and there's a bit more, like I said, a bit more causality and causation about what links this. Why has they gone? Why has that character? Why has that protagonist gone from one point to the next point? And why is that significant? And why are we invested? What are the stakes? Um, so yeah, but you know, like I said, you know, and, and you've alluded to, there are, you know, they are they can be conjoined in so many ways, and I think you know. Know, it's interchangeable because for you to have a good plot you, there needs to be an, a good overarching story and vice versa so um, you know a lot of it does feed into each other mm. and that's so is that again a part of it is the why so that story is sort of the what the what happens uh, and you know just that the who because of who it happens to mm. whereas the plot is is it the how and the why um, you know it's why does someone go from here to there is part of the plot it's um, those 
those elements does that sort of ring true i think yeah i think it does ring true and i think you know it's not up to me to sort of um deviate from those those terms too much because i think it's very good to sometimes just break it down and keep it relatively simple and i think um you know thinking about yeah you know story as the who what and where and plot as the how when and why yeah you know in the broadest sense i think that's a a nice way of thinking about it you know i don't want to um over over complicate um you know the sort of crafting of of a story because for me um, you know, you want to keep that relatively simple in so many ways so that you're not burdened by the pressures of the, the jargon and the terminology. So you have a bit more freedom to write what you want to write. Okay. And the, so in terms of, you mentioned rags to, rags to riches there. And, you know, we talk about a rags to riches story. Um, are there sort of other examples um, of, you know, those stories, these, I'm you know, trying to sort of wrap my brains, I'm sure there are um, dozens of them, but, you know, we talk a sort of, you know, the, the dams in distress story, right? That's, you know, a story, the hero rescues the, um, the girl, you've got the rags to riches story. Those, what are the sort of the other um, types of things, the way that we describe stories? Um, I'm trying to sort of think of, of other ones uh, that are types of story, but you'd never say it's a type of plot. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Can you think of sort of the other examples like the rags to riches? Yeah, there, there is a great book. Um, oh, I forgot. It's by it's by uh, Booker. Seven Seven Ways of Plotting or something. There's seven Seven Types of Plot. I think it's called. Um, and he says that there are literally, you know, there are seven. Essentially, you know, there are seven stories uh, which are being re- that are often rehashed. Um, but it's good plotting that you know makes each of your uh, novels stand out. Um, so, yeah, you know, for, like, like I said before, their stories are often retold and rehashed. They are, you know, it's really hard to think of, um, almost impossible to think of really original stories because they've all been told. Um, but it's good plotting through good character as well, which I think character comes into it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a writer who I'm a bit obsessed by character and voice as well. And I think that comes into it nicely. But again, that, that comes through plotting. Um, that comes through thinking about, um, yeah, you know, the sort of, uh, dynamics of your character and, 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 and thinking about the character arc as well. Um, how would they respond in certain situations? And um, yeah, and, and that comes into it. It comes into the plotting uh, side of it. So let me ask. So basically on the book, you've, your recent book, um, you've said it's a rags to riches story. So everyone immediately knows exactly what's, what's going to go on. But and yet somehow it hasn't, hasn't spoiled. It's not a spoiler alert, right? So tell us, what is it that the plot, and this might be a spoiler, so maybe, use, <laughs> maybe another book as an example, but yeah. that there are plot devices. So you've got your story. Someone goes from nothing to something. How is it then that by clever plotting, that we can ensure that it's a different story, if you like. Absolutely, yeah. I think there are, you need to have a toolkit as a novelist, uh, as a writer, uh, and there are certain things that you, you need to do to make sure that you are in control with um, yeah, how you structure the plot to keep the reader engaged and to keep those stakes uh, really high for the reader to make sure they keep reading and make sure they're investable. Um, so there are certain things you have to do and you have to think about pacing and you have to think about beats and you have to think about um, moments where you're thinking, you know, where you make the reader pause and stop. Uh, and, you know, I also consider that ventilation, this moment where we're just slowing the pace down a wee bit and thinking about, okay, wow, here is a moment here. Uh, and then you take them onto another inciting incident. So you're thinking about where the inciting incidents come and where you're making the reader pause and think. Um, and, you know, it's very important that there is this um, 
you know, this sort of very fluid up and down movement. Uh, it can't be too linear. And I think with story, when we think about story in the broadest sense, it's very linear. Um, often we think about it, if you think about it in chronology, it's the beginning of the story towards the end of the story. Whereas when we're thinking about plot, we might shift um, time, the time frame a little bit. And I certainly did that with your show. Um, so with, you know, the story of your show, like I said, is a black man from Jamaica in the 1950s and it spans over 40, 50 years to get to, um, you know, more or less the current day, sort of. Uh, however, I mess around with the chronology because I think that's a better novel. You know, I flip, I go from uh, 1970s, I go, then I go to 2004 and then I sort of mix and match it a little bit. So we're taking this reader on a journey through time uh, and also having them... Um, you know, my protagonists come across certain antagonists um, just to make it a bit of a spicier story. You know, one of the best bits of advice that I got recently, you know, as a writer, we have to get used to rejection. And even though I've published two novels, I still get rejected. And I pitched something last summer um, for, for an, basically, it was, a, it was a novella. And I pitched something. And after a few weeks, you know, you get a sense that, OK, they're not feeling this because I've not heard anything back. You know, they seemed a bit keen initially, but now I've not heard anything. And after three or four weeks, I got some feedback and they said, um, essentially, not enough was happening. You know, it, there wasn't enough. I wouldn't say action. I don't think they use the word action, but not enough was happening. And that's really stuck with me, actually. Um, the fact that when we read a book, for us to be engaged, for us to keep reading, um, stuff needs to happen. And it doesn't need to be hyperbolic action, drama, Bollywood, Hollywood, shoot, 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 bang, bang, bang. But there needs to be um, a dilemma for the character. There needs to be inciting incidents. There needs to be moments of, of pause, of beats. And then we need to ramp it up again. So up and down, up and down all the time is what makes good plotting. Could, could you feel that when you're writing? Because I, you know, I did like lots of people. You go, I think I'm going to write a book. Yes. So you, know, you, yeah, do, yeah. You, know, you do a novel story. And I thought I was being very clever and put it in all Excel and yeah. divvied it up into things and so on. But the, the feedback that came back from a couple of people who read it was nothing happens until the middle. Mm. I couldn't feel that as the writer. That's, I kind of feel that, um, and maybe you've felt it in the past and know people who feel that, is when you're writing, you, only objectivity can offer the ability to say it's dragging a bit now. Because when you're writing, you're so invested and you've, maybe you're you know, re uh, reviewing. So you've already written the book and you're doing revisions and it feels so, oh, no, what's coming next? But to the observer, the person who's reading it for the first time, nothing's happening how do you when that feedback came to you were you like yeah I can see that or is it like you're gonna to have to guide me because I can't I can't see you know, I'm invested in this story um and I, I guess that's probably regular feedback is that writers write what's you know interesting to them and um whereas actually the the reader who's coming at it fresh is like I need a dilemma, I need a murder, I need and some action, I need a twist. Yes. You know, do you feel, sorry, can you feel that in your writing when you're writing or, or when the feedback comes in? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting question. Look, it's never easy getting um, feedback which isn't wholly positive, i.e. a rejection. <laughs> um, you know, and I didn't necessarily agree with all of um, what was being said about the lack of uh, drama or action or whatever you know it was being it was being alluded at that point um, however um, you know I do think often it's very it's very important to stay true to your your aims and your ambitions as a writer um, you know and I feel like if you feel like okay this is a little bit of a quiet novel but you know you've got to trust yourself this will get better and it will get bigger and stuff will happen and I think that's also a good thing you know you've got to believe in your own amb ambitions and aims and um, 
and take ownership of where you want your novel and story to to, to go and look like. Um, but that being said, and I, you know, that did stick with me that things need to happen because I think it's true. I think it really is, you know, it really is true. And that does come back to consequences and, and causality again. You know, if you have a writer who's, um, sorry, a character. So if you've written a character who's, I don't know, making dinner um, and um, I don't know, there's not enough cabbage in the coleslaw, but what does that matter? Yeah, there needs to be some consequences. You know, you can't just have a kitchen scene or a bathroom scene or you know, or family dinner scene if nothing happens. There needs to be some kind of, uh, you know, really fractious dynamic at show. There needs to be um, some way in which the character, you know, is shifting in some way that, you know, the, the occasion in the kitchen or the occasion in the dinner table has changed the character's notion of how they see the world or how they what they think about a particular other you know other person or other character something needs to happen in that sense some kind of um change of perception something um you know yeah something needs to happen you know it's interesting those devices as well i and i obviously i realize that it's not a case of just having you know we use toolkits sort of metaphorically it's not like you go right well i'm going to assemble like lego mm. uh murder <laughs> affair violence twist <laughs> you, know, you can't just clonk these things up like that but they are at your disposal to drop in um and so absolutely yes uh, um what are those kinds of things you mentioned like dilemma right as a as a great kind of i can mm. see that that's something that would propel you forwards in your plotting um what are the other kinds of, of things sort of that are at our disposal that make uh, that drive plot forward yeah, absolutely. So we can then think about subplots, um, the introduction of minor characters and how they engage with your your protagonist or your antagonist. So, you know, really fleshing out some of your minor characters, perhaps in certain scenes, uh, putting your, your character in a particular situation where they have to respond or they have to react. Uh, so a new setting, a new location. Um, you know, also, yeah, you've talked about twists and turns, something that's unexpected. Um, you know, something that you, you wouldn't expect that your character would have to confront some kind of fear would be really interesting. Um, yeah, you know, uh, some kind of interaction uh, which might not have been um, envisaged at the beginning, but seeing them, how they respond uh, to individuals who are so different to them or having them meet their antagonists earlier on in the story, st stuff like that, I think is really, really important uh, to, to just see how the story might develop and how your character might react. Um, there is this idea and this argument about, um, you know, should we plot and how much should we plot at the beginning or should we just like wing it? Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of both. And I think sometimes it's good to be, a, you know, have a bit of both um, in, in this sense. Um, I like to have a, an idea of um, where I want the story to go. And, and with that, um, a deeper sense of the plotting that's going to occur to keep the reader invested. Um, but I'm never married to that. You know, I, there is some uh, flexibility and fluidity there where I go, do you know what? Actually, do you know, I don't think I need this scene anymore. Or I don't think I, this interaction is working. Or I could try it with someone else. Or maybe I can shoehorn that scene later on, uh, move it here, because I think that'd be beneficial. So I think it's it's always good to never adhere too strictly to your overarching structure because I think the story will be better with a little bit of flexibility this ability to move it around shift scenes around introduce a character flesh out a minor character um, all of those things are really important when I was writing your show I thought this was going to be a story about one man and there was going to be one character but as I was doing my research so your show is based on a real person as I was doing my research I was thinking he kept he kept encountering this this person and you know a bit more research 
more YouTube watching. Um, oh, he's there again. He pops up. And you know what? I was like, oh, that's my, perf- that's my perfect antagonist. He keeps popping up. They keep having these little disagreements. And I, you know, then I, once I had that, once I established that, I decided to use creative license and play on that even more. And that wasn't my intention at the beginning, but it's, it was something that grew. And I think that's the excitement of being a creative writer is this whole idea of that, you know, things can move, things can shift. And I can see that's super important. And I think, um, I think probably a lot, well, certainly a portion of writers will be overly constrained by a tight plot. Like I think, um, and I might be guilty of this, is you can, you can define some great intricate plot of, but you've yet to define the character yet. Because mm-hmm. um, I like the, um, the what if in a, is a book, you know, science fiction and, and fantasy things, for example. But, you know, crime is always a what if you found a dead body in your lawn? What if we could all fly? What if you could download your brain to a hard drive? And so, but that's, you haven't yet got a character. So your plot might be intricate and they're going to do this and then this will be revealed and then they'll happen over there and they'll discover that and then this will be revealed. But occasionally you'll find that actually as you're writing your character into that, your story, it doesn't really work because that person wouldn't do it. And so you find that your plot falls down because anything works logically in your head. But when you actually start to get to to doing it, so to your point, I can see you have to concede that your plot Mm -hmm. is not finished and that your story is not finished and that everything needs to sort of come together like you describe when you're doing your, um, you know, adding, adding people in. Absolutely. I think uh, F. F. Scott Fitzgerald says character is plot and plot is character. And I quite like that because there is this cliched idea that um, and I say, you know, I say cliched and I don't mean that in a completely negative sense because I'm, you know, it's definitely happened to me on many occasions that, you know, you, you start writing a character and they sort of go off in their own direction and you go, oh, my God, I'm going here now. You know, I'm, I'm over here. And I wasn't expecting that. But you just keep writing and you keep going with it because you're so absorbed, so engrossed in the mindset of your character that they, they're sort of leading the story. And I think that's OK to a certain point. I think everything's in moderation. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's sort of that whole idea that uh, character is a key part of um, the writing process, of course, and also especially when plotting. That's why plotting, there is these gaps, these liminal spaces um, that um, can be explored in very creative fashion um, if you allow plotting to not be so rigid, if you, if, you, if you allow there to be some room there for nuance and for interpretation from the reader. Um, so, yeah, that's what I mean. Don't be, don't be too restricted by the idea of plotting. It needs to happen and there needs to be this lovely conduit seamlessness between the sort of main inciting incidents. But there needs to be a flexibility and fluidity there as well for you to let your character do some work, let your voice do some work, you know, the voice of the the authorial voice come through. Um, And all these are perfect um, ingredients for a very good novel, I think. It's interesting. I read uh, you mentioned twists um, that there's become a bit of an obsession with with twists. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think certainly uh, maybe since like Sixth Sense or The Usual Suspects, like mid 90s, certainly movies became obsessed with this twist. And I've read a couple of books, handful of books where I felt like they're sort of, they get baggy in the middle. And there's, to your point about nothing happening, mm. because you're on the one hand, you're like, well, what is the reverse of nothing happening in a book? What am I reading? And the answer could be just thoughts or inconsequential things. And then you get to the end and it all ties together. And you're like, no, oh, that's what this, this person, this writer took me on this giant journey just to give me this kind of twist or something at the end. Um, of course, a twist can be fun, but don't, 
you know, you need to have the bits in the middle that, that keep driving you through. Um, or, 100%. Or is that where, like, maybe where subplots come in, sort of red herring plots that drive you through it, but actually it's about something different. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I think you're absolutely right. I think it won't be satisfying. And if we, if we do all of the hard work and at the end of it, it's this very neat and tidy twist, which um, I think, yeah, you know, a, a novel um, needs to have the architecture and the structure where it uh, feels whole, you know, it feels whole. Uh, and needs to have a beginning, middle and an end and not just an end, not building towards just an end. I think that's uh, a bit of a cop out. Um, so absolutely, yeah, the, you know, architecture of it is really, really important. And, um, you know, being quite pragmatic with the approach in, in that regard is really important. And the yeah, subplots involving characters, um, involving, um, you know, little scenes or in scenes, disagreements, whatever. But actually, the larger picture is a lot more thematic and a lot more sort of longer lasting. Um, and I think that's what the beauty of it. Actually, yes, okay, there's a little dispute here, there's a little disagreement here, and these um, these scenes here, which seem really prominent and quite like dramatic. But actually, something a lot larger. There's a lot. There's a, there's a bigger message behind it. Um, and that's what makes a a timeless novel for me. You know, um, what is being talked about. Um, thematically overarching in the overarching sense do you agree with this I, I don't know tons and tons about theme um, and Ian Nettleton mentioned it on his that um, we, we spoke to him um, for the previous podcast uh, and I'm kind of thinking now about books that don't really have a plot per se and the only one I can think of is On the Road by Jack Kerouac which of course in itself is an edited form of um, something else but Maybe it's unfair to say, I just don't feel like it has a plot. It's a mm. bit of a story. Mm. They go here and then they yeah. go back yeah. and nothing yeah. happens. And the point is nothing happens. So maybe that's the theme. I mean, it's theme. I feel rich, like it's richly themed in the sort of this idea of freedom and endlessly pushing through to something new um, and then finding that there sort of isn't anything and you, you come back. Um, it doesn't really have a, pl a plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of things happen. But And I read it when I was 19, like many of us do. And you're like, God, this is amazing. I must go traveling immediately. Yeah, yeah. And I read it when I was about 35. And it's just awful. And, yeah, and likewise, yeah. I didn't... The film of it was mm. just... It had no plot. It, it was a theme. Yeah. I felt like that with Catcher in the Rye, actually. I remember when I, when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, my God, this is the best book ever. <laughs> like... You know, an angsty, disgruntled teenager got off to find his brother. And he says, I know a lot. And the very voice here, I thought, this is exactly, yeah. But exactly, yeah. I thought this was brilliant. And then I tried to read it about, I don't know, maybe late 20s. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I love this book so <laughs> much. Like, not much happens, you know? Um, I mean, I mean, they're two great books, you know, in their, in their own ways, of course. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, you know, there is, a, there is, there is room um, for what it's called a quiet novel, you know, and a quiet novel isn't very plotty. Um, in fact, there's greater focus on the linguistic craft of it. You know, it might be doing something a bit bold, experimental, rebellious on the page. Um, it might be doing, it might just be the message that's really important. You know, it might be about something that's really topical or whatever it is. And I think that's absolutely fine. You know, I think that's, that's great. I do think plotting actually probably did occur in every book that we've mentioned that is a bit quieter or, or seems a little bit, um, you know, less plot driven. Um, I do think some kind of plotting would have taken place, whether it would be consciously, I doubt it, but it did happen. Um, but that's absolutely fine. But I do think, you know, for for, for aspiring novelists or, or writers of all types of all forms, um, I do think we need to have some kind of idea in our head about what we want to achieve with our with our big, you know, big idea, I suppose, and, and, and our work in, in, in question. Um, and, you know, that might be, a few bullet points, it might be um, an Excel spreadsheet, um, but we need to have something. We need to have something to, to, to build towards, to 
you know, I keep talking about that momentum and propulsion. That's so important. So, so important. We need to be building towards how do you want the reader to feel at the end of this? And I, that was one of the first things I do. In fact, whenever I write something and I, I'm working on my third um, main book at the moment, I have five or six aims that I write on my phone. I do all my initial thinking slash planning on my on my iPhone. Um, five or six aims that I want to the re, you know want to achieve with this project, you know, um, and how I want the reader to feel as part of that. Uh, and I want you know I want them to um, appreciate young black boys in a different way. Yeah. I want them to think about how we treat football referees. I want them to think about how we judge people um, who look different from us. Those are just three of my books, by the way. Um, um, so yeah, you know, I'm all, I always have these overarching aims that I think is very really important. And these overarching aims are part of the plotting process. How do you plot to get there? How do you, in what ways can you take the reader on this, this journey, which I said, they're gonna be ups and downs, twists and turns now and then, but how do we get them to there? And I think that's really important to think about, even if it is a quiet novel, even if it is a very crafty novel, even if it's a very voicey novel, we need techniques and tools to take the reader on a journey and feel like, you know, um, you're in control of that journey. And so let's answer that question, because I think, you know, getting down to the real nuts and bolts now is so you've got your mission, you know, in Comic Sans printed out on you, <laughs> stuck on your wall with bullets is is the how do we. Uh, how do we plot? And I suppose, how do you see your own plot? Again, I, I like to sort of try and break it up. And if I put it into chapters, I hopefully will see if I've done that in my Excel spreadsheet and color coded it. Um, is what what is the bit of the plot? There's got to be something in this. Um, and actually, oddly, with with comedy writing, I think it was Graham Linehan or someone, uh, one of these sort of comedy writers when you're writing comedy in sitcoms, particularly, is if it is not essential information and it's not funny. It goes. <laughs> yes. And so likewise with our plotting, maybe there's something in that maxim that works for um, if it is not driving the plot forwards or essential that it that it comes out. So, and sorry, just to come back to the question, how do we see what our plot is? And, you know, methodically, do you use Excel? Do you, how do you sort of see that? One of the, one of the most, there are two things that I, I like to um, impart when I'm teaching. Two main things. I mean, lots of things, but two main things. <laughs> um, one is um, how I think words should sound, um, and so I'm, you know, I talk about syntax, and and I'm I'm obsessed by the poetry of prose. How words should sound, and um, how to create that sort of rhythmic cadence, musicality, all that sort of things that I think are really important, even if you're writing prose, all those sort of poetic features. But also, um, how to get published. I'm really, I'm quite, honestly, I, I want to get people published. I want your stories to get out there. And it's not, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not a name for everybody. And I'm fully aware of that. Some people love, you know, writing as a cathartic act and, a, you know, as just a, a, a way of um, clearing the mess in the head or whatever it is, you know. Um, but I like getting people published. You know, I, I, I like trying to help in that way. Um, and as part of that process, I would like to, I think of a story as, story as the, the blurb of a book, like the, the very sort of basic, um, this happens of, of, of a story, you know, the synopsis is where you can consider a bit more of the plotting. Synopsis is a bit longer. A synopsis can be a page, usually a page, an agent, a publisher wouldn't really read more than a page synopsis, uh, maybe a page in a bit. 
if depending on how engaged they are by the by the premise of the story. So a blurb is a story, a few a few lines, a few lines. This is about John. Um, John goes on a retreat. He falls in love, um, but then the the you know the love interest goes missing. Ooh, that sounds good. okay. The synopsis is um, you're plotting. Um, what happens? Um, why does John go in this retreat? Because he's down on his luck, and you know he's just had a massive breakup, or he's going through a divorce. Um, why did she? Why did John fall in love with? You know, that is a bit more. Like I said about the, you know, a bit more in depth, a bit more nuance about why um, certain characters find themselves in certain situation. And I would call that the bit more of the synopsis. And that that was how I would do it. You know, I'm always even from maybe I'm a bit more sort of uh, cynical, I suppose. But I'm always thinking about what publishers and agents would want. And I think if we think about blurbs and synopsis as early as possible, if, if publishing is your ambition, the better, I think. What makes this engaging? What makes this, um, you know, hooky? And what makes this marketable? And I really hate to use those those sort of publishing terms in this podcast, but, you know, it's, it's always good to think about our readers, you know, our potential readers. And I think um, writing a blurb and synopsis is a big part of that. I guess it's as well. It's um, I remember. Yeah, uh, I did English at um, university as well, and you know wanted to be like the the Beats, who I idolised at the time when I was twenty one. Um, but I didn't know the rules yet, and so I couldn't break the rules. So, to your point, is like learn about what gets published. You don't have to do it, yeah. but at least learn. You can choose to do this that works, but actually, I'm going to do that that's kind of punky. Um, yeah, I love that. So, I love so that. at least know what um, you know. I think it's interesting if you know a bestseller, like I don't know, a, a romance or a Dan Brown mm, or something. Mm. Know how that works. Have the plot and go. Okay, I can see that that's that. It's not what I'm going to do, but I'm going to pinch this idea and do that and um, and so on. So certainly about knowing. Um, that likewise a um, a book like on the road that seemingly just sort of is an A B C D E <laughs> yes. thin yeah yeah and absolutely I think you're absolutely right I think it's all about you know we talked about what is story what is plot um, we've talked about subplots we've talked about character it's all about knowing these terms and thinking about how can I subvert them how can I mess around with them how can I be a big, how can I be a bit like experimental or bold rebellious with them I think it's really good to have a you know a, a decent idea about what these terms mean but then mess around with them have fun with it you know um, and I also think I also think about, about you know, the canon. Yeah, it's really good. You know, I used to work as an English teacher and I think the canon is very important, the sort of, you know, the traditional archetypal, old school, old white male canon. But then how can we mess around with that? How can we learn from the canon to go, okay, that just doesn't work anymore, you know? So I think I think about that with craft a lot as well. Um, so yeah, be aware of the terms, have your own interpretation of the terms, but then mess around with it. Plotting, you can mess around with plotting, plot, you know, you can have quiet novels that not, not much happens. Um, if that's what you want to do, I, like I said, I advise <laughs> if you want to get published, um, you know, stuff needs to happen. Um, but what that stuff is, is up for debate. You know, like I said, I would avoid hyper, you know, hyperbole, but stuff needs to happen. Yeah. I have this as well. This is something I, I sort of, in my own little bits of research and what have you come across is how much is story influenced by genre and that actually... Um, certain certain genres tend to have certain stories, or, or there's an, this maybe is more about publishing. If you're writing a science fiction novel, that the story is likely to have to, or maybe it's the plot. Maybe I've mis- got those words wrong. Have to sort of include um, certain um, certain things in that, or they need ex- the expectation is that certain things will happen. Um, have you got sort of experience or you know understanding of well, yes, if you're writing romance. 
it's got to be a love story. Um, and therefore your plot will be, you know, these one, one or two of these um, items. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just interested if, if that's something you've come across. Yeah, I suppose, look, you want, whatever you're writing, um, and, and, you know, there are different conventions with, uh, you know, different genres of, of, of writing. But whatever you're writing, the reader's going to come in with their own expectations. Um, and so, if it, you know, if it's, if it's a romance or if it's a crime, um, there are particular expectations that they come in with when they're reading and also expectations that as a as a writer that you need to set up you have to unfortunately you know with well fortunately or unfortunately but um there are certain things you have to do that have to do with genre fiction um for it to be satisfying um you know there is a bit more liberty with literary fiction but you always have to think about your reader you always have to think about what expectations they may have and how are you going to make it uh how you going to fulfill their expectations and make it in a satisfying manner you know, I, I do think it's worth doing your research. It's, it's do, it is worth, um, you know, sharing your, your work with um, beta readers um, within that particular field or experts or tutors within that particular field so that they can see that you are ticking off certain expectations. But again, like I said with, you know, just before, I think there is room in any genre to um, subvert them, to mess around with them, um, to be experimental, to be bold. But... I think it's a little bit harder to do that because of the conventions and restrictions of genre genre fiction. Um, yeah, there's a little bit harder to do it in some forms, but I, I always, I often think it's worth giving it a go. You know, mess around with the aesthetics on the page, play around with the poetry or prose. You know, do things differently because I think the readers can handle it now. The readers can handle it now, so um, go for it. And like I said, this is all a question of interpretation. You know, all is a question of interpretation. You know, I talked about, yeah, there are certain conventions that we have to conform to when we are talking about genre fiction. But to what extent is up to you, you know? Um, but I do think at the end of it, how are we making sure that the novel that you have fashioned or the story you have fashioned is satisfying for the reader, given the expectations that you've set up for them in, the, in those early stages? Okay. And I, just, to, just to finish off as well, I'm, I'm going to ask you if, um, if you can think of a favourite uh, sort of plot um, um, from a book that you've read recently and one I'm, I'm thinking of that I read recently Neil Stevenson's Fall or Dodge in Hell um, which is uh, his um, likes his uh, sort of dystopian um, near future and, and so on stuff and the plot and the plot is that everyone when they die rather than cryogenically freezing yourself you download your brain and it just gets sort of stored uh, as data. So you, 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 your brain exists as data. Um, and the plot then is, well, someone then works out how to turn on the data. It's not just data, so it becomes sort of alive. Mm. And this, I mean, it was just an incredible plot. I felt, I felt propelled through it nice. because there was a good reveal of new stages. And then they essentially build this, rebuild a digital world in this sort of giant hard drive with all the brains of the people who are dying um, and, and coming in to populate it. I nice. mean, the, it's... But the, the plotting, again, there were these reveals sort of peeling back the onion layers, which I know is a cheesy metaphor, but I just kind of feel like I, if you've promised me to your point about like the, the expectations, yes, if you've yeah. promised me at the beginning that I'm going to go on this journey and then you sort of in it as they peel back these, these onion layers, I've kind of, maybe I've spoiled that book for people, but maybe <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. more to it. I wonder, do you have any particular favorite, um, sort yeah. of, you know, books or plots where you've been, and for whatever reason, I guess it doesn't have to be that surprises. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's few. My, you know, you know, 
saw that question coming, um, <laughs> and I was just thinking, my brain was ticking away. Um, but I, you know, going back to to your choice, I like this, this idea of being propelled forward. You know, I think that's, like I said, it's really important. Um, I've read um, an olive grow an an olive grove in ends by Moses McKenzie. Uh, it came out a few months ago, uh, set in Bristol, um, and um, the setup for that was really beautiful. In fact, it was it was stunning actually because it's about um, a young black boy from 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 really tough Bristol um, area state called Stapleton or Stapes, and he dreams of owning the old house, which is in a sort of posher, richer part of the town. He goes like, one day I'm going to own this house, and he keeps visiting this house, and you know we follow him through this journey, through thinking, and all the time we're thinking, is he going to get this house? Is he going to earn enough money to get this house? Is he going to stay out of trouble to get this house? Um, and you know, there's there's also a love interest in there which comes involved, you know, and she, you know she becomes she becomes part of this dream that they're going to live in this house together, and it, you know it's just really beautifully done and really well written, and it's very pacey, very you know very propulsive. There, that word again. But um, every chapter, something is happening. Something you know, we've, and everything that does happen, we're thinking about this house, this dream, this ambition, this goal to get to this house. So yeah, big, big, big fan of that. I've also read this book called Sasha Knight um, by Sean Godfrey, uh, which is set in Jamaica. And you know, the story, so I'm talking about the story in the broadest sense. The story is 11, an 11 year old boy from Jamaica finds a friend, loses, the, loses his friend. That's the story. However, it's so well plotted, short chapters, um, almost like a twist in every every sort of short chapter. I'm talking chapters about two pages long, you know, it's, it's tiny, tiny chapters, which is good when you want to read a chapter just before bed, you know. Um, and there is little twist along the way and then a massive one at the end. And, you know, I've been very careful because I don't want to give too much away. But both books have just been released. So Sasha Knight was released, um, you know, well, I don't, what are we now? Whatever, a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, time's a blur. Uh, and then Moses McKenzie's book, An Olive Grove and End, was released a few months ago. But so, you know, we're talking um, quite contemporary, quite contemporary works, quite, you know, quite new works, but uh, brilliant because the pl- it's well plotted. Um, it's got a decent premise, um, but the way they fashion the story shows great care, great control. They're dictating the pace. Um, and yeah, we know the stakes are so investable that I'm, I'm hooked. Amazing. Ashley, thank you so much for talking to us today. That is a very fast 45 minutes we've just <laughs> spent. So thank you. Again, Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to Ashley for his time. And don't forget that you can find out more about our creative writing courses, workshops and mentoring on our website. If you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Writer Centre, and you'll find us on Facebook by searching National Centre for Writing. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking the orange drop-down box on the homepage. As a UK-registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on the website today by hitting the Support Us button in the top nav. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us because it helps other writers to find the podcast. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.